This is an ABC podcast. Okay, I'm here to get to the bottom of something because I've seen all these internet science articles around and they're like, there are no blue flowers. I mean, you can't believe every single thing you listen to on the internet. So I've come to see a flower guy. Key days like Mother's Day, it's very pastel, whites and pinks, and then going into... Richard McClure is owner of Stems Flower Market in Western Victoria and a commercial flower farmer with decades of experience. And we walk through his cold storage room piled with blooms and foliage to stand among the empty plastic buckets and pallets waiting to be reused, right out to the back alley where there's a car wash next door, the perfect place to get to the bottom of the mystery about blue flowers. The blue flower is the holy grail of uh, flowers. There are some close imitations and some mauve tones in lysianthus and carnations and roses, but we continuously struggle in that for the true blue flower, apart from a violet. In fact, over decades, millions, literally millions of dollars, has been rolled into plant breeding and genetic modification of cut flowers around the world. Here in Australia, we had Florigene, who is a Melbourne-based company, and they developed the first genetically modified cut flower with the blue tones, the purpley mauves, and they commercialised a range of carnations. We have grown them here in Ballarat, and that company has been taken over by a Japanese company, Suntory, and they've relocated and they've actually let their licenses go in Australia because it costs so much to maintain the licenses and now it's all sourced out of Ecuador. They're all grown out of Ecuador. That is some flower miles and it also demonstrates the lengths that businesses will go to to supply blue-toned flowers. Um, but why do you think there's this thirst for it, you know? Because we've already got, we've got all these gorgeous purples and reds and greens and, you know, orange and yellow and every colour under the rainbow, except for blue. Oh, I think it's just because we haven't got it. <laughs> we just, we just can't help ourselves. So you got anything blue-toned in stock at the moment? As close as we would have was the natural beautiful iris. Ah, oh, see, they're, pre- they're beautiful. Why is it that blue is so rare in flowers, you reckon? Oh, now that is a scientific question. It's above <laughs> my pay grade. Ugh. Okay, hello and welcome to What the Duck. I'm your host, Anne Jones, and every episode I'm trying to chase down those fleeting double-take moments in nature and also to confuse myself a lot, and we'll get to that second part very soon. And today's WTF moment actually started with a tweet of an amazing photograph from Inverto Files, a.k.a. Dr Nicholas Porch from Deakin Uni. It's, well, it's just like, what the heck is that? And then all of a sudden, because the colour sort of confuses your brain for a second, it's that, it's that rich cobalt blue warning colour. And then you realise that it was a blue centipede. <laughs> I don't know a lot about centipedes and whenever I'm sorting a sample, I'm usually sorting beetles out of the samples, but every now and then I come across something and I think, oh my goodness, look at that, that's crazy, why is it like that? It was so ridiculously blue and it was so bright that I had to sort of think whether the image that I took had somehow distorted the colour. It's incredible, it looks like lapis lazuli. There's often blue in centipedes, so often their centipedes can have blue legs, but to see one that was so incredibly dark blue was really sort of surprising. It may not be that that species is always that blue, and it may actually be that for some reason that particular specimen of that species is much bluer than it is normally. 
Ooh, would you have a theory as to why? I wouldn't. Like I said, I know almost nothing about centipedes. <laughs> but it was the comment that accompanied Nick's amazing photograph that really got my attention about blue being really rare in invertebrates and in the environment. Fascinating, right? Bluishness is just these bright colours that are rare in nature. I mean, they're not hugely rare in nature because when you look at birds, there's lots of blue birds, uh, flowers, there's, yeah, there's blue flowers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said mm-hmm when Nick said there are blue flowers, right? But actually, doubt is creeping in because after years of reading listicles which tell me there are actually no blue birds while I'm looking out a window at a fairy wren, it makes me feel like science might be gaslighting me because blue exists. The whole damn sky is blue, right? The sky's not blue. Uh. Well, pluck a duck if it isn't Nate Byrne, meteorologist and science nerd from ABC News Breakfast. And I actually called him. Hey, how's it going? As soon as I realised, I'd bitten off more blue than I could chew. Yeah, yeah. The sky. Why is it blue? The sky's actually completely see-through, which you know, because when the sun's down, you can look up and gaze at stars millions of light years away and beyond. The atmosphere is completely transparent to light, but the sky appears to be blue because what you're seeing is somebody else's sunlight. Somebody else's sunlight. Right. Okay, so when you look at the sun, which you should never do, ever, of course, but let's let's imagine that you've just caught a brief glimpse out of the corner of your eye and it looks a little bit yellowish, perhaps. Okay, that's because the sunlight is white. It's made up of all of the colours of the spectrum. When the light enters the atmosphere, it encounters molecules of air, you know, mostly nitrogen, quite a bit of oxygen, those molecules are way, way smaller than the wavelength of light. When light hits them, there's a thing that happens called Rayleigh scattering. The amount of scattering depends on the colour. The red light gets scattered just a tiny bit, the yellow light a bit more, the green light a bit more than that. The blue light with the smallest wavelength gets scattered the most. As it goes, hitting like molecule after molecule after molecule of air, more and more blue gets scattered away. That means that the light that's left is a little bit red shifted. It moves away from white to, and looks a little bit more yellow. So yellow sun, right? What's happening with all of that blue light that's been scattered? Well, to your mate just down the road, they're getting to see that light and they see that as the sky. So their sky, is a bit of your scattered sun, and your sky is someone else's scattered sun. You know the Pink Floyd cover with the prism? Think of the particles of the atmosphere sort of like tiny prisms, so tiny, 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 that they mostly scattered the blue light of the visible spectrum, sending it skew if off course. The rest of the colours, white and slightly yellowy looking, heading straight down from the sun. Who said we don't need no education? You know, the sky is not uniformly blue, right? Like, like where, the, where the sun is, obviously, don't look at the sun. Remember that? Number one uh, trick of, of this story, don't look at the sun. But near the sun, the sky is quite a rich, 
deep blue. And then as you go towards the horizon, it kind of gets lighter and paler. And then right near the horizon, it's, it's almost white, right? So what's happening there is that the light that's near the sun so it's pretty much pure blue. You're getting that good, rich blue. As you go down towards the horizon, that blue light is getting scattered by other things as well. And eventually there's some light that bounces off the earth and that gets involved as well. So as you get closer to the surface of the earth, you end up getting a whole bunch of different colours of light mixing back in and pushing back towards white light, the light that you started with. It's mind-blowing. You would say blue is very prevalent in the environment because the sky is blue and the sea is blue because it reflects the colour of the sky. But when you look at plants and animals, blue is quite rare. Professor Andy Loeb is Director of the Environment Institute at the University of Adelaide. He started off as a plant scientist who climbed the soaring branches of academia and he's a blue enthusiast. We perceive colour because the thing that we're looking at reflects the colour that we perceive. So if something's red, it's because it's reflecting red light. This is a real what the duck moment though, right? Because it means that <laughs> the plant isn't red, it's what we perceive it's not is red. red. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. like yeah. actively the opposite of red. <laughs> it's absorbing everything else but red and we see it as red. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's a, so you just got to get your head around that. So it's a little bit <laughs> counterintuitive. So anything that we see that is a colour is reflecting that colour. That's probably the best way to do it. Oh, God. My existential woes are intensifying. Why isn't anything actually blue? It's my favourite damn colour. So if we start with the plants, there are some good reasons why there isn't really a blue pigment. So if you're a plant, what you want to do is you want to be able to harvest light. That's how you capture energy. That's how you make your sugars. That's where your food comes from. It's through photosynthesis. So when you look at the spectrum of light, the highest energy light is in the ultraviolet end and the lowest energy is in the infrared end. So when you move into the visible spectrum, then the ultraviolet is the purple and blue side and the low energy is around the red spectrum. Right, so blue light equals high energy light. So if you're a plant, what you want to do is absorb the highest energy light. And the highest energy light that we can see are purples and blues. So if you're a blue plant, you're reflecting that highest energy light. So that's really stupid, right? So you wouldn't do that as a plant because you're reflecting the highest energy light that you possibly can. So you don't actually wanna be blue, you wanna be other colors. And Andy is talking about the main structure of plants, not the flowers in this bit. You know, as if you might have a tree with blue leaves. And sometimes they do have other pigments, purpley colours and all that. But as with almost every single rule ever, there's always exceptions. And there are indeed some forest-dwelling plants like begonias, which have leaves that do appear to be blue. But as a pretty good rule... True blue in plants is normally reserved for blooms, but only about 10% of blooms. 
Plants have some tricks and they have some chemical and biochemical tricks that they use to make blue. And so if we want to make blue flowers and attract the pollinators, you know, it's a strong reason to to appear a shocking blue or some of the colours. And you're not interfering with your light harvesting mechanisms that you're in your leaves. Yeah, it's where you can be a show off. It's where where you want to be a show off. It's where you're rewarded for being a show off. I I must ask, do you drink red wine? I do. Have you ever noticed that if you don't finish your red wine, and sometimes you might have some residue of red wine in the glass and you wash it out with hot water, just that moment when you wash it out, the red wine will change colour from a kind of deep red through into a purple and a slight blue tinge. There's a pH change that's involved in that. So, you know, water generally has more alkali pH, whereas wine sits more on the acidic end. So if you introduce water, you're introducing a slight pH change. It's not only the dilution effect which liberates the colours, it's also that slight change in pH that causes those colour pigments to slightly change conformation in that brief instant. So what plants are able to do is they're able to capture that. They're able to capture that brief instance of change and hold it in that state forever to give us a blue colour. So it's a kind of pH manipulation of a reddy or a purpley pigment to fix it into a blue colour. So it, it is blue, it reflects blue, we perceive it as blue, but it's not actually a blue pigment. It's a, a reddy pigment that's, that's changed slightly. Slight handbrake turn. Why is it that flamingos are pink? Or probably the question actually is, is how is it that flamingos are pink? So if you're an animal and you want to take on colour, you can invest in complex and expensive new pigments that you express in your cells, or you can eat them and assimilate those pigments. So with something like a flamingo, uh, the reason that flamingos are pink is because the invertebrates that they eat are pink. So they take on board that uh, coloration from the food that they eat. Now, that's not, not all animals. I should hope not, or else I would be the colour of a cup of tea with a biscuit. But it's much easier to do that than it is to start from scratch and build a pigment from scratch through the cellular mechanisms. I've heard that if you eat all carrots and only carrots that you do start to look a bit orange and in fact this is called keratinemia, quick way to get a tan. There's another one which follows eating too many red foods like tomatoes called lycopenemia. So BRB, just going to eat the perfect mix of veggies so I can turn myself into a flamingo. Yeah, so then, okay, logic says that if that's how flamingos are pink, then how are fairy wrens blue? What are they eating? And this is where it gets complicated, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, So if plants are the masters of chemistry and biochemistry, then I think it would be fair to say that animals are then the masters of physics. So... The blue in fairy wrens isn't because fairy wrens eat bluebells. Right, and we've just found out that blue flowers don't even have blue pigments anyway. So how are birds blue? It's because they reflect blue light. So there's a couple of different ways you can do that. Birds in particular, what they're able to do is on the surface of the feathers, there are microscopic ridges and 
when the light hits those ridges, it reflects back out. But if you slightly change the distance between those, then you can reflect light at a different wavelengths. So birds are able to appear blue because they are able to change the frequency of light that hits the feathers through these micro ridges on the feathers. And this is called structural colour. It's where something about your structure acts like those prisms up in the sky. It disco balls different colours back at the viewer. Butterflies do this too. They have little Christmas tree shaped microstructures on their wings that give off iridescent blue glows. So again, it's not a blue pigment, it's a kind of optical physics manipulation of light that gives the animals the, the blue appearance. But there's no pigment in there that's actually blue. Ah, oh, shit. Is anything really blue? Or is it all physics tricks? Is there even a blue pigment out there in nature? Uh, so, you know, we started out by saying that there isn't, uh, there aren't these blue pigments in nature. But of course, you know, that's like a red flag to a bull and uh, particularly to biologists. There are true blue pigments in a small number of plants and animals. It's just that they're... they're extremely rare. They're extremely rare. Extremely rare. Dr Kate Umbers is an entomologist from the University of Western Sydney. A, there's a bryzoan. So a bryzoan is like a colonial marine organism. It's like a blob on a rock kind of <laughs> creature. <laughs> Sorry for all the bryzoan. The, the bryzoan lovers. A handsome blob on a rock. So handsome. So blue. Finally, something that has blue pigment. So listen up, here's a story about a bryzoan that was blue and lived in a blue world. What's the first thing you think of when I say blue? Grasshopper. Oh, so that is the perfect answer for you. Obviously, right? <laughs> Kate Umbers has spent years and years studying turquoise grasshoppers, which change colour from dull earthy tones to brilliant turquoise with temperature change. So, of course, she'd say grasshopper. And also, while she's talking to me, she's feeding her baby, so you can hear some little adorable squirms and thumps. Within the sort of molecular biology world, there's blue pigments that are sort of lobbing around in the extracellular matrix of an organism. Chromatophores are special cells that contain colour pigments. So you can get blue pigments that are kind of zooming around in the extracellular matrix. They're a little bit more common. And then there's just one type of fish. I think there's two species of mandarin fish. <laughs> they have actual blue chromatophores which is a proper colour cell that has a blue pigment inside the cell, which fits that definition of a chromatophore. It's insane because you see blue everywhere. So if it's not like a pigment inside an organism, then what are we actually seeing? I'm sort of tempted to say, like as a biologist, I'm tempted to say we're seeing physics. <laughs> it's just like a really stupid thing that biologists sometimes say because we don't really understand physics. A lot of us don't. It's structural. It's, it's surfaces and structures messing around with light and refracting it and reflecting it in 
um, certain ways that trigger our blue receptors. Yeah, because like nature is a better light show than, <laughs> you know, the lasers at Expo 88, right? <laughs> it like blows it out of the water. That's my go to, it's my go-to festival as well for all my analogies. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? If it's all so complicated, why be blue? Well, you know, there's males interested in, you know, blue coloration in females, wow. females interested in blue coloration in males, mm -hmm. you know, sexual selection type stuff. Blue is sometimes found in warning signals to send messages to predators and our various other enemies that prey are not profitable. Yeah, like the blue ringed octopus, which is a true WTD animal. And also a heap of insects which flash blue and say, don't eat me, I'm absolutely disgusting. There is some evidence that a blue pigment in a bryzoan is active against gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria, so bacteria can be knocked back by this pigment. Those blue butter bee butter guys in the song might have been onto something in their blue world. Because if being blue is better than hand sanitizer, I'm in. There's this amazing ecosystem that kind of meanders around on the surface of the open ocean called the blue layer or the blue armada, they're sometimes called. And they're just this delicious collection of wacky creatures, nudibranchs and cnidarians like jellyfish and things like that. Oh yeah, and there's this uh, blue crustacean that lives among them too. And they just kind of float around driven by the wind, but they're right on the very surface of the open ocean and they are very, very blue. They all reflect really, really strongly blue and also UV. And the idea is that they're probably getting some protection from that intense solar radiation that's just, you know, there's no escape from on the very surface of the, of the open ocean. It's like blue in a very um, completely simplified and probably wrong way. <laughs> the blue is acting like a sunscreen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But the interesting thing I think about blue is that everyone talks about how wonderful it is and rare and, oh, you know, it's so this wonderful thing, but it's actually, it's not that rare, I think. <laughs> <laughs> What makes you say that? Well, I think it's all a matter of scale. Like the animals we used to looking at, mammals, you know, my God, could they be any more boring? Brown, all brown. <laughs> you got that monkey, that velvet uh, monkey with the blue scrotum. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And then the... Yeah, <laughs> blue scrotum. We'll give mandrels. you that one. <laughs> okay, sure. You know, if you're going to go for it. Um, mandrels, you know, with their amazing colourful faces, but by and large, you know, you're not, nobody's interested in a mammal. Birds, there's lots of birds that have blue on them. Lots, lots and lots and lots. Um, and then of course, tons of insects have blue on them, but nobody cares because they're small and whatever. There's tons of blues. I mean, if you want to be camouflaged in the ocean, blue's a good choice. So it's like, you know, we're just so biased about thinking, we, we sort of, we're, so pa we're passively kind of taking the environment around us. That's our typical kind of background. That brownish, greenish place that we live in, you know, lots of plants around if we're lucky. Everything's a bit brown, a bit green. 
And so, yeah, for us on our kind of day-to-day lives, blue is rare. But if we sort of objectively went into the into the animal world and went, you know, what proportion of species have some blue on them, it's not as it's not as few as you might naively think. But those sorts of things, I think, are they're fun to think about because they highlight our biases, you know, thinking that our experience of the world is the truth of the world. I think the point here is that all these tricks of physics and chemistry that natural organisms are using to reflect blue back at us, pigment blue is there, it's just relatively rare in nature. And it turns out it's not quite all a pigment of our imagination, it's probably more a pigment of our perception. What the Duck is a production of ABC Science and I'm Dr Anne Jones. Patria Ladgrove is producer and the script editor is Joel Werner. This program was made on the land of the Wadawurrung people with help of experts from all over the world. The more pressing blue question for me is why do we accept blue pants as a default neutral colour? Like, what's up with jeans? You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.